Thanks for playing that song, Like a River Glories. I haven't heard that in a long time. It's a great song. If you want an uh, exposition and a hymn on Philippians 4, 6, and 7, read uh, Like a River Glories, the hymn. It's a great hymn. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you tonight for your word, and uh, we just pray that as we uh, speak tonight, you'll use it in all of our lives to help us with this problem of worry. Give us... Uh, uh, direction in this and help and strength and grace in our lives and help us to entrust you with all things. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, two of my sons, Daniel and Stephen, and uh, their cousin Josh, went on a kayaking trip down the Hillsborough River. They left uh, later than we would have liked them to leave in the afternoon, and they uh, it was a rather cold day, and they... Uh, had some kayaks, three kayaks, and they started down the river. Well, they thought the park closed at 6 o'clock. No, they thought, they thought it started, closed at 6.30, but actually closed at 6 o'clock in the evening. Well, at 10 till 7, Sandy got a call from a sheriff, and he said, uh, ma'am, I ran, there was a couple of trucks in the parking lot, the only trucks left at Hills River State Park, and uh, I ran the tags and found out that, uh, you know, I had to call this number. Do you have anybody that, you know, you know that owns these trucks? She said, yes, my two sons. And their cousin. And, uh, well, do you know where they are? Well, they're down the river somewhere. It was dark by this time. They weren't back. Well, when I heard about this, uh, being the person I am, and I don't know why I'm this way, and maybe all of us are this way, but I, I tend to dwell on things a lot. I, I, I'll think about things, and I'll, and I'll analyze things, and I'll think about them some more, and it's a real curse. started thinking about the situation. I thought, well, well, where are these guys? Where, where are my sons? Where's my their cousin at? What, what's going on? Why are they not back by now? It's dark and they're not here. What's happening? And I started thinking the worst. My mind naturally went to alligators on the Hillsborough River and <laughs> things of that nature, and I started thinking, what has happened? So I started thinking about these things, and uh, I call. In the meantime, a sheriff called again, and then a park ranger called back later. They said they would begin a search for the guys. Well, in the meantime, I called the pastor, Mike Sprott, and I called uh, Ryan, and I called Paul Shirley and uh, Dave Sprott and some people, and I said, would you guys pray for the guys? I don't know what's happening. We prayed also as well at the kitchen table, Sandy and I and, and Mike Rodriguez. No, Mike Rodriguez was sound asleep. That's right. <laughs> he was taking a little nap. He wasn't worried at all. <laughs> and uh, we prayed, and we committed it to God. Um, to make a long story short, the police, uh, the sheriff sent a helicopter after the guys to find them, and for an hour and a half, when they found them, hovered over, over them as they were on the river. And they uh, shined their light down, and they were, they were able to be discovered. Well, what, what, to make a long story short, uh, they weren't in any danger at all, as it turns out. It had just got to where it was dark. They couldn't see anything. They had plenty of warm clothes. They had plenty of food. They weren't lost either, for that matter. We were led to believe otherwise in some of those areas. So my worry was unfounded. And that's one of the problems with worry. Oftentimes you are worried about something and there's no problem at all. But you're worried about it anyway. You think something's going to happen and really nothing happens uh, in, in the long run. And so that's what happened that night. Well, that brings us to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And it says here, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul say this? What were the circumstances that would make him say something like this, not to worry about things? Well, if you look in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, you'll see that Paul, first of all, was in prison. 
says in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. So we can see that Paul had a problem already. He's in prison, although he didn't consider that to be a problem. Uh, the Philippians were suffering also. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 29. Paul says to the Philippian believers, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. There was also some discord among the saints. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He says here, Paul says, I urge these two women, Euodia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. So apparently there was some disharmony here, and he's got to deal with this issue as well. And then there were false teachers in the church. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. Paul gives this warning. He says, beware of the dogs. He's not talking about a physical dog. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. He's talking, in effect, about false teachers. And that brings us to chapter 4. And in this chapter, he gives a series of rapid-fire commands uh, in succession that deal, uh, that put the right, the, the, uh, give the right perspective and right spin on the difficult circumstances they were in. In verse 4, look at chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He talks about the joy you're to have in difficult circumstances. In verse 6, talks about your spirit. He says, or verse 5, rather, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. In verse 6, he talks about anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. In verse 8, he talks about the proper mindset. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, or right, or pure, or lovely, or whatever is good, of good repute, uh, dwell on those kind of things. In uh, verse 9, he says, The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so he says, in effect, follow my example in verse 9. And so all of these things, all these uh, exhortations are given because of the troubling circumstances they were involved in. Our folks today will be on verses 6 and 7, where once again he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? He's simply saying this. Replace your worries, your anxieties with prayer, and God's peace will comfort you. Replace your worries and anxieties with prayer, and God's peace will comfort you. And as we look at the text here, we're going to see, uh, first of all, a prohibition, secondly, a command, and thirdly, a promise. First of all, there is a prohibition against anxiety. Look at chapter 4, verse 6, the first part. We read it twice. Be anxious for nothing. That is a prohibition. It's actually a command that's stated in the form of, of a prohibition. We're being prohibited from something. He's saying there's something you can't do, and in this case, it's you can't worry. You can't be anxious. You could translate this well by saying, stop worrying. That's what he's saying. Stop worrying. And, you know, anxiety is hurtful. Anxiety is, is harassing cares that come upon you and try to overtake you. Uh, there's so many cares in the world. And anxiety tries to overtake you, distracts the mind. It attempt, it, it's attempting to carry burdens yourself instead of trusting God. It's the natural reaction of a person to poverty, hunger, and troubles of all kinds. It's how we would naturally, naturally react. So Paul says, stop worrying. Stop being filled with cares of all kinds. Let me ask you this. Do we, does that mean we're to be careless and not be concerned about anything at all? It's not what it means. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. 
He says about Timothy in chapter 2, verse 20, and he uses the same word here as is used in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. That concern there is used in a positive sense. He says, you know, he says, Timothy is a man who is genuinely concerned for others, and we should be genuinely concerned for people and concerned for things that are important and concerned for the things of God. Yes, of course, we, we are concerned about those things. However, in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, we're not to be worried or be filled with cares and things that make us anxious. We're not to be filled uh, with those kind of cares. What does what chapter 4, verse 6 imply about the Philippian believers? When Paul says, stop worrying, what does that imply? They were worrying about things. <clears throat> they were concerned about things, unduly concerned, not concerned in the good sense, although I'm sure they had that too. But they were anxious about things. And Paul says, don't worry anymore. They were guilty of this. <clears throat> Why were they worried? Uh, as I read through the epistle, I, I, it seems to me that the biggest uh, issue they were worried about was persecution. <clears throat> Look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And I think this is, a, um, this is a definite reason they were worried. In verse 28, Paul says to them, <clears throat> in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's possible they were worried about being persecuted. <coughs> the word alarm there means to be frightened or terrified or to be intimidated. That's a, you can imagine if, you're facing, if you were facing real persecution today, how that would be. You read about that in certain parts of the world. If we actually face real, live, physical persecution, wouldn't that be a cause for concern or a cause for worry even among, among the believers? And I believe this is a reason a possible reason they were worried. It's not to insinuate that their problems weren't real, by the way. They, you know, Paul didn't say, oh, quit worrying about that. It's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that your problems aren't real, Philippians. I know your problems are really saying. And it's not to insinuate that your problems in this audience tonight aren't real. They are real. I, I realize you're going through real difficulties in life. And I'm not trying to belittle that at all. <clears throat> um, but... Uh, you know, we worry about so many things. We worry about our finances. We worry about the future. We worry about the past. We worry about the present. We're constantly worried about things. And uh, there's no end of the possibility of worrying, is there? There's always something else to worry about tomorrow on your job. Are you thinking right now of something you can worry about? There's a good chance you have a problem you're going to face tomorrow that's, that's bothering you, is bugging you. If you're like me, things bug you. Let me ask you this. What does the text, what does the first six give us permission to worry about? How many things are we allowed to worry about? Nothing. I like the American Standard Version in 1901, the translation there. It goes like this. In nothing, be anxious. In nothing, be anxious is what it says. And aren't these, aren't the, isn't this an echo of what Christ said in Matthew 6? Stephen read the passage. I'm going to read it again. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 because this is a great passage and one I've thought on often. Matthew 6, verse 25. Thank you for reading that, Stephen. I didn't know you were going to do that. But it's, you know, some people think that Paul was influenced by these words. It says in Matthew 6, 25, Jesus said, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried. You know what that phrase is? The same phrase, basically, 
That's used in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, stop worrying about your life as to what you will eat as to, or what you will drink, <clears throat> nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't work for their foods. They don't gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more worth? Are you not worth not much? <laughs> try to read that three times in a row, <laughs> or even one time in a row. <laughs> are you not worth much more than they? Maybe we can retranslate that phrase somehow. Which of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Look at verse uh, twenty-eight, uh, verse uh, thirty-one. Do not worry then, saying, "What will you eat?" What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear for clothing? Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me ask you a question. Are you worried today, tonight? Are you anxious over things? Are you worried right now about your finances, about how you're going to pay your bills this month, about how you're going to pay your bills from last month? Are you worried about your family and the problems they are undergoing right now? Are you worried about your job, uh, maybe your boss, maybe your lack of a job? Are you worried about that? Are you worried about a fellow employee and the problems you're having with him at work? Are we worried about these things? What does God say? He says, stop worrying. Wow. That's, you say, what, what do you mean stop worrying? That's what he says, stop worrying. It doesn't do any good anyway. So the first thing we see here is that we're given a prohibition against worry. Stop worrying. Secondly, there is a command to pray, a command to pray. Verse 6 in the second part of the verse, the rest of the verse, after he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Years ago, there was a saying that was popular and it became a song. It went like this, don't worry, be happy. You may remember that. I heard it often. I'd be out there thinking, don't worry, be happy. I get the first part, don't worry. You're not supposed to worry. The second part for the solution to worry was be happy. And I used to think, well, how am I to be happy? How does that work? Just muster up happiness somehow or just start being uh, carefree? I never understood that. But that's what the song said. And it was a secular solution to a, a real problem. Uh, but let me ask you this. How do you handle the problem of worry? What do you do? I could give you a list of things I'm going to. You answer this in, in your own heart. When confronted with, with a problem, what do you do? Do you, number one, wring your hands and cry out, woe is me? Number two, do you become very stoic, acting indifferent in to the circumstances? Face it head on, stoically, as if it doesn't exist. Number three, do you try to figure it out on your own? I'll figure this thing out somehow. Number four, do you complain to others about your lot in life? I think I've already hit myself already a few times here. Number five, all of the above, or six, none of the above. How do you handle worry? There's a better way than to wring our hands and worry and fret and whine and cry and complain and carry on and wonder about why are we in this miserable situation we're in. And I'm preaching to myself tonight, trust me. There's a better way, and it's God's way. God has a remedy for anxiety. You know what that is? It's prayer. It's prayer. You say, prayer, has it come to this? Yes, it has come to this. And it should have come to this a long time ago. A man by the name of R. R. Rainey, 
and I don't know who he is, but he stated it well when he said this, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. And Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, I love Matthew Henry, a lot of people belittle him, but he said this, prayer is a, so is a sovereign antidote against perplexing care. Prayer is a sovereign antidote against perplexing care. He's right. There's an interesting contrast here in Philippians 4, 6. Did you see it? He says, be anxious for nothing. And then there's that word of contrast, but in everything. See the contrast, for nothing and everything? Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything at all. Well, that's an all-encompassing statement. But he says, on the other hand, be, uh, pray about everything. That's also all-encompassing. And he, when he says everything, he means that all of life deta life's details and circumstances. He does mean everything. Rainey said the way to be anxious about nothing is to be what? Prayerful about everything. Have you ever asked yourself, what am I to pray about? How about this? Pray about everything. You ever thought about that? We make so many mistakes, so many errors. You can even see this in the Bible because we don't pray about things. We have no peace because we don't pray about everything. We think, well, that's not important. I don't need to pray about that. I'm just going to go on my way. No, we need to pray about that. The very thing you neglected to pray about is what you need to pray about. We need to pray about everything we're confronted with. It's very important. Notice the four terms for prayer that are used here. In verse 6, he uses the word prayer. That's obvious. He uses the word supplication, uh, the word thanksgiving, and the word request. Three of these are basically synonyms. Prayer, supplications, and requests are basically synonyms. Prayer means is a general word used in the Bible, but always means petition, to ask God for things. Uh, supplication means petition also. You're asking God for things. Request is specifically the things you ask for. So these are all synonyms. Together, when you accumulate these three synonyms, he's saying, look, you need to be utterly and completely dependent upon God for everything. There is nothing you should not pray about. <clears throat> and then he has another element of prayer here. That's thanksgiving. And it says it this way. He says, uh, with thanksgiving, that little phrase, with thanksgiving, always accompanies prayer. Thanksgiving should always accompany prayer. It's talking to, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's uh, uh, Thanksgiving is always synonymous with being, is almost synonymous rather with being a Christian, uh, somebody said. What are we to be thankful for when we pray? Well, we're to be thankful for what God's done for us in the past, how he's taken care of us in the past. We're to be thankful that God uh, has done, has sent his son to die for us on the cross and, and, and was resurrected and has saved us from our sins. We're to be thankful because we can bring our petitions before him. We're to be thankful because God has promised to give us peace if we will do that. And so there's so many things to be thankful for in prayer. And this is a missing element of prayer, is it not? Prayer, or Thanksgiving should permeate our prayers. We should be thankful always. And this is part of this formula, being thankful in prayer. Maybe even being thankful for the trial that you're under, undergoing. That's difficult. Very difficult. I'll be the first to admit that. But to be thankful for that even. And so we're to be thankful. And we pray about our anxieties. 1 Peter 5, says, 5, 7 says what? Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Same words used in Philippians, uh, Philippians uh, 4. Anxiety there. Cast all your anxiety upon God because God cares for you. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you trying to shoulder the weight of anxieties by yourself? Or are you entrusting God with your worries? We're commanded to pray. 
We're commanded to pray about everything. And so we see, first of all, there is a prohibition against anxiety, and secondly, there is a command to pray. Thirdly, there is a promise of peace. In verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The, the word and is very important here that leads off this sentence. It doesn't look very important, does it? But it is. It's connected to the verse preceding it, verse 6, and it introduces a result from the previous statement. It's a sure result, a guarantee. It is a promise from God. Paul's saying that if we put an end to worrying and we entrust all our cares and worries and anxieties and problems to God, he will send us his peace. He'll promise us his peace. You know, this doesn't mean that your circumstances are going to change just because you pray. I'm not saying, God, get me out of this situation. I'm not saying to pray that way. Now, you may want to pray that way. I've prayed that way many times. But God may not get you out of a situation you're in. He may want you to go through something for some reason. But I'm talking about the promised peace that God gives you when you pray and entrust all your cares to him. He will send peace in your heart. He'll give you that peace. That's what he says. Nothing may change outwardly in your life at all. But something will change inwardly. You'll have the peace of God as your portion. The peace of God, that's an interesting phrase. Isn't that a great phrase, the peace of God? There's some discussion among Bible scholars, what exactly does that mean? Is it peace from God? Is it peace that characterizes God? Is it peace that is produced by God? And the discussion goes on and on. A guy by the name of William, William Hendrickson said it this way, and I, I like this. I think this is good. He says about the peace of God, he says, This sweet peace, and it is sweet peace, right? Peace of God. This sweet peace originates in God, because after all, it is the peace of God. This sweet peace originates in God, who himself possesses it in his own being. He is glad, however, to impart it to his children. God possesses the peace in his own being. He, he's part of his makeup, and yet he's glad to impart this peace to us. This is the peace of God I'm talking about being imparted to you, the believer, as a, as a result of prayer and not worrying. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says this, it says, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. That was Paul's wish for them. Here in chapter 4 of Philippians, he says it can be a reality if you'll own it. Now, did you see the twofold description that follows the peace of God here? First of all, the peace of God is incomprehensible. It means you can't really understand it. It says in verse six, or verse 7, rather, peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Surpasses all comprehension. That could mean one of two things. It could mean that it's beyond the ability, the ability of human beings to understand what it is at all. Or it could be that all the scheming and programs that people come up with can't match. They're futile in, in, in God, against God's program of peace. In other words, God knows how to give you peace. Man can only try to, try to work it up and scheme at it, but he can't really get to it. But one thing's for sure. Both are ultimately true. I mean, how can we really understand the peace of God? fully. You can't explain that. We can't explain the love of God. We can't explain the grace of God fully. There's no way we can. We, we have definitions we attach to all these things, but they're only a definition. We can't really understand fully these things about God. And we can't, we can't come up with a plan that is better than God's. God gives us a plan right here to avoid worry. We can't come up with a better plan than that. This is his plan. So the peace of God is simply incomprehensible to the mind of man. We can't really grasp it fully. And secondly, the peace of God is protective. I love this phrase here. It says the peace of God, which, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will do it. It's going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard is a military term here used of soldiers that would guard over a, a city and protect it from attacks. In Philippi, there was a garrison of, sol- of Roman soldiers that were there stationed to protect the city. So the people in Philippi knew about this. And so when Paul said, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, they knew. They, were, they would think about that probably, about the guards. and Oh, yeah, they're protecting our city. Just in that same way, God's peace protects our hearts when we ask him for it. Notice the objects being protected here. He says, your hearts and your minds. It's interesting, the way this is phrased, your hearts and your minds, there's, they're to be distinguished between the two. A lot of times you'll see them together, or maybe they mean uh, the same thing, but here seems to be distinguished. The heart is normally referred to as the center of one's, uh, li- of, uh, one, one's being out of which flows all life. But here, they're different. Heart is probably the seat of emotions or deepest feelings. And mind really has to do with the products of, of, of the mind, which is your thoughts. So he's talking about your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, these kind of things together, the entire inner being of the, of the believer is protected by God, by his peace, from the attacks of the enemy. What, what's trying to attack us? Those intruding worries, right? Worries are all, all around us, and worries are always trying to get through to us, through our heart and our mind. And God says, no, you're not coming in. I'm going to protect my, my, pers- my, my people from this because they're trusting me. So... The one who entrusts himself to God is the one who will enjoy the peace of God. You know, these verses in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, they are very special to me. I call them my go-to verses. I think I've talked to you about this, Mike. The reason I call them my go-to verses is because I personally have gone to them over and over again many times over the years. Countless number of times have I gone to these two verses and thought through these two verses. More than any verses in the Bible, <laughs> I have meditated upon these two verses and thought about them and applied it to my situation. Why have I done this? Because I know I'm a person that's given to, given to worrying or to dwelling on things way too long, to thinking things about things way too, way too much. So I've got to, I've got to go to them. And I've thought, as I've thought through these verses over the years, I've, been, I've, I've realized that worry is prohibited. I can't legitimately be involved in worry. I just can't do it because it's prohibited. I, Mike, every once in a while, you know, he'll tell me, I'll say, you know, I have this problem, and he'll say, have you gone to the Lord about that? He said that to me many times, and I thought, <laughs> I don't know. Did I go to the Lord about that or not? Or maybe I didn't go to the Lord about that, and I thought later on, you know, he's right about that. That's where I need to go. Worry is not an option for us, is it? It's not an option. Why do I know this? Because it says, be anxious for nothing. I'm also reminded that I'm commanded to pray about the things that trouble me. I've got to learn to take my troubles to God. Every single trouble that arises, every time it arises, if it arises every day of the week, I've got to take that trouble to God and commit it to him. That's what he's told me to do. I'm further reminded that having done this, God's peace will guard my heart from anxieties. That's what he's promised to do. So this passage teaches us by replacing, harassing anxieties and worries with with prayer, true believing prayer, we'll have the peace of God. And I want to challenge you with this today. Don't be like Martha. Remember Martha and the story of Mary and Martha who worried, and Jesus said to her, you're worried and troubled about many things, Martha. She was busy, and she was distracted, and she wanted to do something for God. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Christ listening to his word. 
while Mar- Martha was worried about everything under the sun, and Jesus said, don't, stop worrying about all this stuff. You're worried about many things. Don't be like Martha. Instead of, instead of that, instead of dwelling on your problems, and I'm talking to myself, dwell on this passage right here and on the solution that God provides for us here. You know, I, I, if I would have, were to title this sermon, and I didn't do that, because it's not something I do. <laughs> As a general rule, there's nothing wrong with it. I, would, I thought about this, and I think I'd title it, No Worries, Mate. <laughs> no Worries, because we're not supposed to have any worries. We're supposed to be trusting all things to God. So don't look elsewhere for the solution to anxiety. The answer is right here in Philippians chapter 4. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for simplicity, and yet it's uh, what, a great, what, a great, uh, what a great advice it gives us, not only just advice, but this is your advice, Lord. This is your counsel for us. Pray we'll take these words to heart tonight and we'll live in, in a manner that would be worry-free, really, in a, in a manner that would be trusting you for all things. We're grateful for your peace. We're grateful for what you do for us always. And we just uh, pray all these things in Christ's name.